We've been, we've been talking about prayer over the past few weeks, and um, we've sort of been asking the question, Lord, how should we pray? You know, because if we're honest, some of us don't pray because we're af- afraid to pray, and we wonder whether or not prayer even works, because there are times that we've prayed for things, and things haven't turned out the way that we wanted them to turn out, right? And so there are all these questions, and the disciples early on had seen Jesus praying, and they noticed that something was different. And so the first week, we went back to a time when Jesus taught the disciples, some call it the Lord's Prayer, others call it the disciples' prayer, but when Jesus outlined for them, when he taught them how to pray. You can go back and listen to that on the internet if you want to listen to that, but, but it basically said that we don't, we don't come to God in the in the. In the context of our prayers, our prayers aren't asking necessarily asking God for something, but God doing something inside of us. Because so many times when we approach God, it's always about what I want from you, God, and I need something from you. But he just doesn't want to do something for us. He wants to do something inside of us. And then last week, we looked at a very intimate time of the story of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And if you were here last week, um, we were reminded of the humanity of Jesus, that in that time he said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, because this isn't what I want to do. And yet there was a resolve that took place in Jesus that said, no, not my will, but yours be done. As we stand before the Father, and as we recognize to whom we're praying, It's so much easier in our lives to say, Lord, I'm going to set aside my agenda for your agenda because I recognize that you are God and I'm not. I want to be more like Jesus in everything that I do. We talked about I want to be a light. Sometimes that's hard in the context of humanity. Surrender, that's not always easy. But if we want to follow Jesus' example, and we want to learn how to pray, we realize that it's not really about me. It's not about me getting what I want. But God, what is it you want from me? Based on the, the greatness of God, God, what do you want from me and how do I respond to you? That's prayer. Today we're going to look at a bad prayer. We're going to look at a story inside the scriptures that Jesus himself taught. And in Luke chapter 18, you can turn there. We're going to see the story where Jesus tells he tells and gives an outline of, of two people in Scripture. One of those would have been considered to be a good person. The other person would have been considered to be a bad person. One person prayed and, and said, uh, uh, I want you to look at all the good things that I've done, Lord. The other one said, Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a, I'm a sinner. I want to read that story to, to you today. And We want to walk through it, and my prayer is that somewhere through this, and this is very difficult to understand, but somewhere through this, God's going to speak to our hearts, and we're going to learn something. And we're going to recognize probably that most of us, if not all of us in this room, even though we dislike the prayers of the Pharisee, that when we really get down to it and honest, how many of us pray like the Pharisee? So let's go and let's read some of the story in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And this is what it says as as Jesus 
tells the story. Then Jesus told this story to some, some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned every one else. So right up front, we know that Jesus is speaking to a group of people that thought they were a little bit better than others. He's speaking to a little bit to, to some people that believed that they had it all together. And their attitude was that God favors me. God favors me. They were arrogant. They were arrogant. You ever met anybody like that? Look at how good I am. Mark Jordan. Look at how wonderful I am, you know. Jesus is amongst this group of people. They thought high of themselves and low of everybody else. And they had an attitude. And the story goes on something like this. Two men went, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. Two men, the Pharisee, stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. And I'm certainly not like that tax collector that's standing over there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, standing at a distance... And dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. But instead it said he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified. And you might want to circle and underline that because that's a really, there's a really big word before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So two guys coming to the temple to pray, two different perspectives. One thought he was good enough, the other one knew that he wasn't good at all. One recognized his sin while the other said, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good man. One cried for mercy. One got accepted and one God rejected. Now, when we read this from the start, there are a lot of things in the Bible that we might say, I just don't get. But this, we pretty much understand this, right? I mean, I think we can pretty much identify here who's, who's the one that seems to be off and away from God and the one that seems to be moving closer to God from, as we read this. And we read the story of the two guys and what they prayed, and it's easy to say, I'm glad I'm not like the Pharisee. I can't believe his attitude. He was arrogant. No wonder God didn't receive his prayer. He wasn't. He was so good he didn't even need God. And here's the tax collector now in the other part of the story saying, God, I'm struggling. And he's crying out, help me, help me. And the synopsis of the story is what? Don't be like the Pharisee. Be like the tax collector. That's really odd, though, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's, that's really odd because, I mean, if, when you read the story, I tell you what, why don't we read it again, and why don't you forget everything that you know about a Pharisee, okay? Let's look at it in light of morality, 
And let's read the story again and see maybe what comes to our minds as, as we walk through it. Let's, let's take one more look at, at this because there's some things that we just don't want to miss. Because see, if we're really honest with ourselves, I wonder, believe it or not, how many of us have more of the characteristics of the Pharisee than not. But let's read it from a perspective of morality. Look at here. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I'm not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Now, looking from an outward perspective, what would we say? Chris Bell, what would we say? He's a great guy. I mean, if you were looking for somebody to tell your children to model after, I mean, if he was in the community, you would go, that's a good guy. I want you to be like him because, listen, he doesn't cheat. He's honest. He doesn't run around on his wife. He goes to church. Matter of fact, he's on the leadership team. He even gives a tenth of his income. That's a guy that you can trust in. I mean, wouldn't you say that? If you, if you, back a, if you take it back just a few steps and you look at it from a morality standpoint, you would say, that's, that's a pretty good guy. That's a pretty good guy. Because he's nothing like the tax collector, the crook, the shyster. The guy that is always stealing from everybody, the thief. The guy that could rob you and have the support of the government. He was a traitor. He was the big dude on the block. He was the guy that when everybody went out to party, he was the one that bought all the beers for everybody. This was the guy that hung out with all the women. This is the guy that squandered all the money on the expensive trips and flaunted his lifestyle. And he... And he utilized the monies from the people that were around him, and they hated him for it. Got the Pharisee and the tax collector. And if I were to stand before you, the two men today, one, we would say, was a faithful father, husband, and friend. The other one was a despised, womanizing, crooked tax collector. The question would be, based on their morality, who do you think God would listen to? Uh-oh, we got a problem, Houston. I mean, to start off with, I thought the Pharisee was the bad guy. To start off, I thought, it was, I, th I thought the tax collector was the good guy, but when I switch it around just a little bit, man, from that perspective, the morality, I mean, it's the Pharisee that's really the good guy, and it's the tax collector that's the bad guy. But when we think about, well, who would God listen to? All of a sudden, there's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem. And Jesus indicates and tells us the one that seems to be a faithful father and friend is in the worse shape than the one that's the womanizing, dishonest, betraying tax collector. And if that's true, then what was the problem with the Pharisee's prayer? What was the issue with the Pharisee's prayer? Maybe it wasn't about his prayer. Maybe it was all about his, his heart. 
See, I can see the outside, but I can't see the inside. See, God sees the outside and the inside. And how many of us come to church every day and we see the outside, yet we don't see what's going on on the inside? The Pharisee came and he expected God to listen to him because and give his approval based on all the things that he did or didn't do. And the fact that he wasn't a tax collector. I mean, you look pretty good when you put yourself beside a tax collector. You know what I'm saying? Makes me feel like I'm a little bit better off. So sometimes we like to associate or compare ourselves to others that are worse. It was the guy, he believed that God's acceptance of him was because of his goodness. And I know that you've never done that before. I know that you've never struggled with the fact of, God, I'm, I've been good this week, so I know that you're listening and I know that you hear me. But what happens when we slip up and we say those things that we shouldn't say? Or we do those things that we didn't do? What about the times that we don't treat our spouse the way that we should treat them or treat our children the way that we should treat them? And we, or maybe we slip back in that addiction, into that addiction that we said we would never slip back into. Does that mean that God's love for us wanes? How many of us have ever said, God isn't listening to me because I've blown it? It's easy to do that, though, isn't it? See, God isn't listening to me because, and you fill in the blank. But it was the Pharisee that said, God, because I've done this, and you've got your own list, because there's probably some things that you've placed in there. God, because I've done this, I know that you love me, and I know that you're listening to me because of this. And you fill in that blank. I know you're listening to me because I went to church. I know you're listening to me because I didn't fight back with my wife when she fought with me. I know that you're listening at me, God, because I read a verse today and I prayed to you. I know that you're listening to me because I haven't blown it this week like I did last week. See, God, because I, because I, God, I know because I, you accept me. How many of us think that we have God's attention because I? Or how many of us think we have God's attention because I have not? Because I have not, God, I have your attention. Because I have not, and you can fill in that blank as well. Because I'm not, I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector. God, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a Democrat, or I'm not a Republican, or I'm not... You fill in the blank. God, because I haven't been through a divorce, I know. God, because I, I don't have any debt. God, because I don't have that addiction. God, because I don't. And you can fill it in. You can fill in the blanks. God's be, God, because I'm not a Presbyterian, or because I'm not a Pentecost, a Pentecostal, because I'm not a Catholic, or because I'm not, because of the clothes I wear, because I'm a Baptist, because of the music that I listen to. God, I know. I know. And how many of us think that God listens to us because of what is happening on the outside instead of what's happening on the inside? You ever thought that God really probably isn't impressed with your goodness? 
the tax collector. The scripture says that he stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven, but instead he beat his chest in sorrow. And he cried out, O God, be merciful to me, have mercy, for I am what? A sinner. Circle and underline that word mercy or merciful. Let's talk about that for a second. Because many times in the Bible, you'll read the word mercy or merciful. Many times in the Greek, it's translated elios. Elios means to have pity, to have compassion. You can see that um, in the story just a couple of verses later here in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus um, is in in a conversation with with a blind beggar. And in the midst of that conversation, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what he was saying was, have pity on me, have compassion. But that's not what the tax collector's saying. He wasn't coming to Jesus and saying, have mercy. What he was saying was a different word for the word mercy in the Greek. Halasterion. And that word means something totally different. It means atonement, propitiation, a covering to take the place of. In the Old Testament, in the, in the tabernacle, it was moved from place to place. There was a separation between the inner and the outer. And in the Holy of Holies, there was, a, there, was a, there was a piece that was called the Ark of the Covenant. And there in that Ark of the Covenant, there were three items that were in the Ark of the Covenant. There was the Ten Commandments that had been given by God, written by God's hand. There was, there was Aaron's staff, his budding staff, blooming staff, and then there was a jar of manna. And on top of that... Um, there was a covering, and that covering was called the mercy seat. There were two angels, cherubims, that were bowed, that were upon that, and that was where the sacrifice, the blood, would be sprinkled one time a year when the high priest would go in to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And what... It tells us in Hebrews, and what we know was that Jesus would become that sacrifice. And that process, that sacrificial system that had been established would be wiped away because the scripture said that the Lamb of God would die once and for all for the sins of man. So so what's being said here is the tax collector is saying, Jesus... I just don't need pity. pity. I just don't need compassion. But I need you to cover me. I need you to cover my sins. See, without the shedding of blood, we know there's no forgiveness of sins. But when Jesus' blood was shed, had the ability to wash away our sins if we're willing to receive it and accept it. Are you with me? That's the picture. That's the picture. So when the tax collector was coming, he wasn't saying, hey, God, just just overlook my sin, take pity on me. He was saying, I need atonement. I need you to cover my entire life. I can't stand before you because I have nothing to offer you. I'm not good. There's nothing within me that's good. He was saying, Jesus, I need you. Lord, cover me. I have nothing to stand on. And what he didn't miss was God's unconditional love and God's unconditional ear. 
the fact that God loves us unconditionally and that he hears us and he listens to us unconditionally. Now, this is really tough, but I'm going to try to see if I can, if I can, if I can bring it to head because a lot of times we think that God listens to us conditionally. I want you to picture in your mind the tax collector. And the tax collector comes, he comes to the Lord and he asks for forgiveness. He cries out and said, Lord, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And let's just say that the tax collector leaves and he goes back to his places of duty. And let's just say he picks up right where he left off, Gus. He goes back to being a cheat, going back to being a thief and taking advantage of the people that he works with on a daily basis. And let's just say that it's time now to go back to the temple, and he goes back to the temple. He goes back to the temple, and he prays the exact same thing that he prayed the week before. Lord, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Make atonement for me. Cover my sins. And the question is, and don't answer this, do you think that God will listen to the tax collector this week? And we say, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Well, why? He wasn't serious. See, the tax collector really wasn't serious about asking for forgiveness and about God's mercy. Because if he would have really been serious, it would have changed his life the, other, the rest of the week. See, he went back to doing the same old thing. Same old thing. Same old thing. It's not fair. He didn't even try. There was no change. Let's look at it from this perspective. Let's say that he prays and he goes back, and let's say that he does try. And he does change a little bit. Let's say that, um, that after he leaves the temple, he tries, he cheats a little bit less, he doesn't steal as much, he doesn't take his advantage of, of as many people as he did the week before, and he goes back to the temple, and he prays the same prayer again, and the question is, do you think that God will listen to him? And we would say, well, yeah, I mean, I guess so. He's doing just a little bit better this week than he did last week. He's doing just a little bit better. I mean, he's not doing as good as the Pharisee, but he's doing a little bit better. But I thought we said we didn't focus so much on what happened on the outside, but what happened on the, what's going on on the inside. How many times do we want to use morality to dictate how close God comes or how far God removes himself from us based on our understanding and our humanity we want to be able to dictate okay where God should be in this relationship with me and him how many times does that happen how many times do we want to dictate with our morality how close God comes and how much God would listen and when God should and when he shouldn't engage us we want to dictate it all based on what we see and what we think, but that isn't true. Because God doesn't listen to us based on how good or how not good we are. He's God. And it might seem unfair, but it's grace. See, this is what we know about sin. The Bible says that who has sinned? 
All of us in this room and all of us outside of this room. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death and separation. And we know that there's a price for sin. It ruins our relationship, ruins our reputations, it ruins our finances. God gave us the Ten Commandments so that we could live in harmony and, and with Him and, and also with each other. When, but when we fall into sin, there's always consequences. Yet our morality has nothing to do with God's acceptance of us because He loves us unconditionally. What does it is finished mean? Finished. Done. Not when I get good enough or when I am bad. It's finished. Not once I get my act together, but it's finished. Once we believe that we have to go to Jesus and that He alone is our atonement and He alone is our covering, we don't ever have to worry again and wonder whether or not we're good enough or we're bad enough. It's about Jesus. It's by His grace that we're saved, not of anything that we do. You ain't got a thing to brag about. Here's the Pharisee. Look at me. The tax collector. Oh, don't look at me. Have mercy. There's not a thing that we can add to or take away from what God has done. He's done it all. And He loves us. And he listens to us. I love what the author penned in Amazing Grace. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. And how gracious did, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. For the person that's a sinner like I, that's great news. That's great news. For those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, and we've said, God, have mercy on me. I need you. We don't ever have to worry. We don't have to worry. You know that little phrase that we say at the ending of a prayer in Jesus' name? You know what that means? Da, da 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 in Jesus' name, amen. It means that I approach God not based upon anything that I've done, but it means that my approach to God is through Jesus who paid the price for my sin. In Jesus' name. God, it's because of your grace and it's because of your mercy. It says that when I come to God, it's in the name of Jesus that I am here, not because of who I am or what I've done, regardless of what group. I'm a part of or whoever I represent, but in Jesus' name reminds me of God's grace and His mercy alone and that I can stand up and I can run to my Heavenly Father and that He embraces me, not because of my goodness, but because of Jesus. I read this from a friend of mine who sent this to me and I thought, man, how timely. It was just a little statement, and this is what it said. If it suddenly became impossible for us to cover up all the junk we normally hide from the rest of humanity, 
I have a feeling that we would all get real motivated to deal with the source of, of what ails us internally. The takeaway, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I need your covering. There's no goodness in me. I am but a wretched sinner. And when you pray that standing in front of an almighty God, you're able to see your sin and recognize how wretched we truly are. But if I'm like the Pharisee and if I'm comparing myself to the tax collector or the neighbor or the friend or the guy down the street or the guy that I go to school with or whoever it may be, it might look pretty good. But when you stand in his presence and you see his greatness and you recognize and you understand that there's nothing that I can do that's good enough and that it's only Jesus, we stand and we beat our chest and we say, oh, what a sinner am I. But the reality is more of us than not are probably like the Pharisee, aren't we? So God, would you speak to our hearts today because if we desire to be the light that you've called us to be, I've got to realize that nothing within me is good. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. We've got to recognize that we're not accepted and he doesn't accept us because of our goodness. But it was finished on the cross. And I don't have to earn it anymore. Doesn't make any sense. Because it's far outside of our humanity. Far outside. Why would somebody just love us so much when we're so unlovable? Why, when we continue to turn and walk away from him, would he, consent, would he continually press on towards us? It just doesn't make any sense. But he does. And to understand in the humanity of when Jesus was saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, that at that moment, Jesus just wasn't looking at what was taking place within that time frame. He was looking down the line years and years, 2,000 years later, when we would sit in an environment like this and know that there would be some that would reject his gift. Yet he still did it. And he said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. How do you close? Maybe for those of us, including myself, that have a tendency of looking at other people, to have a reality check today and to really do some business and say, God, would you take away the attitude of the Pharisee within me and would you reveal my sinfulness? That's what we really need. Because that puts us on a playing level with everybody and understanding that we truly need. God, would you give me not more the actions of the tax collector, but would you give me more of his heart? 
to recognize my sin and to see my sin and to realize that I need the blood of Jesus to cover me. That's what we need. See, that's the right prayer. Not that I've got it all together. The right prayer is, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, dear Jesus, because I need you. Would you bow your heads today? For those of us that are Christ followers, that are believers today, the challenge is for us to take a step back and say, God, where in my life, where am I missing it? And Father, what are you saying to me today that needs to be done? May we recognize, Father, our arrogance. May we recognize our wrongs and realize that your acceptance or your rejectance of me doesn't have to do with my morality, but you love me in spite of my foolishness. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remove that arrogance from us, Father. Help us to identify it and even confess it right now. For the person that's here today that doesn't know Christ, acknowledgement of our sin is the beginning of that process of, of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that today, even now, would you, would you come to the place of acknowledging your sin and recognizing who God is and saying in the midst of it all, God, I just, I don't understand it, but God, I know that I need you. I know that I'm a sinner and I know that Jesus died for me and he finished it there. Lord, I want to believe. I admit, I believe that Jesus died on a cross and I want to confess my sin and I want to live for him. And if that's you today and you're saying today in the midst of our time, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I crying out to Jesus as a tax collector saying, Jesus, would you save me? Would you just pray something like this in acknowledgement because it's not the prayer here that saves you, but it's your heart. Jesus, would you save me today? I cry and I beg you, mercy, have mercy on me. Would you cover me with your blood? And if you prayed that prayer today after this service, would you just come see me and say, that was me, that was me. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but that was me. Man, I, I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ. I want to trust him. If that's you, would you come see me right after the service? Father, what I'm praying is that, Lord, we would see the reality of who we are and our sinfulness. Father, may we place ourselves in submission to you because of your greatness. See, if we're going to be a light into the world, if we're going to make a difference here, and if we're going to be your ambassadors, we're going to have to realize and recognize whom we're representing and your greatness, not our greatness. I'm praying today that, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts, and because we're listening, we're going to be better ambassadors. Thank you for, for the scriptures and what Jesus teaches us in his, in his word the great teacher and how the Holy Spirit uses it to penetrate our hearts. I'm asking, Lord, as I, as I end our time, as I'm praying for, for those of us as we leave and as we go into our places of influence this next week, whether it be schools, whether it be our place of businesses or home, that, God, we would be your light and we would be your example. Again, Father, help us recognize the truth of where we are. Now, to not take to not take 
um, satisfaction in the outward things that are happening, but to look at the inwardness and the, and the sinfulness of our hearts. Hear us today because we cry out to you because we are a people that are broken. We are a people that are in need of you because we're sinners. Have mercy on us, Jesus. But as we leave here today, may we be different because of what we hear and because of the teachings of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray.